Hey, everybody, this isn't an ad. Don't feel like you have to skip. Uh, but I did want to let you know that Daryl and I are back to producing Soccer 101 episodes. Uh, the latest one was out this Monday. We'll be having them uh, coming out uh, once a week, at least over the next uh, few months or so. Uh, this past episode, the first one in Season 3, is all about the 2002 World Cup knockout round game between the United States and Mexico. You have to say knockout round like that if you're talking about the U.S. and the knockout round. Uh, the 2-0 win, dos a cero, not the original, but the, the big one that starts that ball rolling. Uh, we talk the tactics, the big moments, Moments, the crazy red cards, Mexico falling apart, U.S.'s defensive game plan, uh, lots and lots of other topics in there as well. So that's a great list, and you can find that in the Soccer 101 feed. And on today's show, Ryan and I are going to be giving some updates uh, from the world of soccer regarding uh, COVID-19, coronavirus, and then we'll be looking at the best and worst movies and documentaries that you can be watching while soccer is on hiatus. Uh, but before that, some music. And welcome to another episode of the Total Soccer Show. It's Monday, but it's not quite a weekend review because there's not really a weekend to review. But to talk about lots of other stuff is Mr. Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Tate. Technically, there was a weekend. The week, the Saturday that and Sunday did happen. There just wasn't very much sport to talk about, unfortunately. But there I filled really my not. hours pretty well. I've spent maybe. 30 hours trying to do that thing going up and down the stairs like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and his girlfriend. <laughs> I, think I, there. I thought about it and I realized I would just end up kicking the wall and falling over. It takes a lot of coordination to do. It really does. It was it was very impressive, I have to say. I, I, I'll give credit where credit is due. Yeah. Uh, I don't always love the choreographed relationship dance, but that one, that one was solid. You can guess, uh, I, I don't know, was that his girlfriend? Is that what you said? I believe so. I believe she's a pop star as well, so it makes sense that she has there got go. some good coordination. I'm going to assume that if and when they get married, they're going to have the choreographed dance and it's going to be epic. I would imagine so. I'd imagine so. But Taylor, I'm feeling a bit bad because I missed last mm-hmm. weekend's weekend review because um, I was running a marathon, mm-hmm. which in hindsight doesn't seem like the most wonderful idea I've ever had. But, um, it, you know, I, I missed the last weekend review of what it could be a little wild. And that, that upsets me a little bit. It, it only hit me yesterday, really, about how long we might not be talking about soccer. And I know that's kind of a downer to to start with, but I think it's the reality of the situation mm. is like we like I was sort of thinking like, oh, you know, we'll have like a, like three or four weeks and it won't be that big of a deal. And until like you're kind of in it and there is no soccer to watch, it sort of then hits home like, oh, no, three to four weeks is very unlikely the minimum. Uh, it's probably going to be more than that. And also like that is a long time. So it will be strange. But I do think we've got some ways to uh, to deal with it, one of which is to watch documentaries, watch movies. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be giving some folks some of our favorite documentaries and movies that are soccer related or soccer themed. But first, we should talk a little bit about updates to uh, COVID-19 the coronavirus, uh, what's been happening in the leagues around the world. Uh, Ryan, you've d- been doing some updates, some research. Uh, what have you What have you found? What's the latest news? Quick wrap-up on the state of play in things of Europe as of time of publication, which uh, things are changing rapidly, but this is how it is right now as we're speaking. UEFA, as we know, are having a meeting on Tuesday to decide on the fate of Euro 2020 and their competitions, the Champions League and the Europa League. All 55 members are getting in on a conference call. They're not going to be hugging each other and licking door handles or whatever they would that's do good. normally that's definitely good yeah that's a good idea um and i think we think that year 2020 is going to be postponed right that has to happen surely 
at this point. I think so. I think so because you look at the way other leagues, and again, Ryan, thank you for uh, compiling a lot of the, the pertinent quotes, but we know that the, what, the Premier League are having a meeting on Thursday to assess the situation, yes. determine a plan going forward. Bundesliga, uh, they're not expecting to return until April 3rd, but then they're going to have discussions on March 30th about whether or not that will work. Mm-hmm. Uh, La Liga Serie A uh, making some kind of measures of their own. So it does feel like everybody is pushing back and pushing back. That will be the kind of norm. But then the question is, do they finish the season? Do they cut it off to allow for the Euros? And I think that that vote on Tuesday will be very important. I don't. I would not be surprised if they end up uh, moving it back to 2021, maybe canceling it outright. That seems like a big loss. Um, but if they move it back, then that allows maybe those seasons to resume in, let's say, May. Yeah. You can play them through like May, uh, June, uh, July. You, t- you take a couple weeks off and then you start the next season all over again. Ryan, is that something you would like to see? Are you in favor of the Euros being postponed in order to kind of see out the remainder of these seasons? It hurts me to say I'm in favor of the Euros being postponed. It feels weird, right? I think yeah. if you ask a casual fan on the street, they'd rather see a super fun summer tournament happen than not happen. But I think it's inevitable and I think it has to happen. And when it comes to the question of whether seasons should be cancelled, should they be voided or stopped at this point and let's award the winners now, I have a particular view on that. Before I get into mine, what's your view on that, Taylor? But should they be stopped, like just like so called like, at an end? Let's say, you know, Liverpool need six, se- six seasons. Mm-hmm. They need six points to win the season, to win the title, mm-hmm. their first title in 30 years. Do we just give it them or do we void the season entirely? Because if this is put to a vote, by uh, the EPL teams on Thursday, there's going to be about 19 teams who are happy to restart this season. <laughs> maybe 18, maybe Sheffield United, maybe Leicester would uh, be pretty happy, uh, yeah. you know, unhappy. But uh, I, I think it's that there's no fair way of doing it. Basically, what what are your thoughts on this before I before I get into uh, my yeah. my crazy plan um, to save all of soccer? I think if they were to cancel the season, me personally, I am just going to say that Liverpool won the title. I will I will give that up readily and happily. But with that said, I, I am hoping that they, they do not. I'm hoping that they do vote to suspend the Euros and that gives them a, a massive cushion to push everything back mm-hmm. because uh, this is a thing that Daryl has sort of influenced me on. I would rather have the kind of firm decision earlier and then you don't have to have the anxiety and worrying. Basically, if, if you're worrying about your plans, just cancel the plans uh, and stop deliberating and then waiting until the last minute to cancel them cancel them and then you don't have to have the anxiety and i think if you say we're pushing back the euros uh to next summer we'll, we'll deal with that as we have to in the meantime that gives us this kind of window so we don't have to rush it we don't have teams trying to cram in yeah. you know seven games in four weeks to make something happen to make something official uh because i still think as i said like two months may be optimistic and it may well be that even with that pushback we still don't have the end of the season uh and then that maybe begs the next question ryan for you uh <laughs> jumping further forward is like what happens if they say, like, come June, yeah, we still can't really open. We still don't really trust what's going on. We, we don't have the confidence to, to sort of reopen the leagues. Then would you like to see them be, like push back the start of next season, potentially? I would. My view, Taylor, is we don't know the timelines mm. here and we don't know what's going to happen in the next few hours, let alone the next few weeks and months. My view is these domestic seasons have to be finished to completion no matter what. Hmm. Uh, They have to be finished to the full amount of games. That's the only fair and proper way of doing things because any other outcome is unsatisfactory. Uh, If we concluded, let's take the Premier League, for example. If we concluded Mm -hmm. the Premier League now, do we give Liverpool the title? Is it fair? It probably is fair to give them it, but they'll have an asterisk next to that title forever. 
That's not something they want. That's not something that we as soccer fans want. Is it fair that the relegation battle ends now? Is it fair that we end up doing the idea of a 22-team Premier League next season, mm-hmm. uh, which affects which teams come up from the championship? And m- maybe only two teams come up and you know, a third spot doesn't, doesn't happen this season. Is that fair for all the teams in the championship who are vying for that playoff? It's not fair at all. My view is it has to be finished. I don't. It could be in two months from now. It could be in... 20 months from now, I think you have to finish those final 10 games or so for the integrity of the leagues and the integrity of the sport in general. Because my view, Taylor, is there's no point starting a new league season when you haven't finished the other one. What is the point of starting afresh when you haven't finished what you're, what you're doing already? What's the point, Taylor, in having dessert when you haven't finished your steak? <laughs> huh? I mean, I, I, think, I think I am with you for the most part. I will say this. like I want the seasons to finish. That is not my number one priority. My number one priority is not having 95% of the world infected by a disease and, and having it continue to spread and, and mutate and magnify or whatever. Uh, so, but I think, I know you're not saying like, so I just want them to resume right away, close doors, it's fine, let's, like, let's just get it back underway. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you're not making that argument, uh, but I, I think like as provided that they feel it is safe enough to, to move forward, then like, and I do feel like the leagues have sort of responded fairly well. Most leagues have sort of taken uh, the situation into account, have have done what's best for both the fans and the players and their staff and everything else. So I sort of trust them with the decision they're going to make. I hope they're able to finish this season because I take your point that it seems strange to sort of have that season just trail off, maybe not have any competition this summer, and then we all just resume as though it's normal. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hope they're able to finish. If they're not, like if there is, uh, I think Manuel Vates was tweeting that there was like uh, a proposed solution in the Bundesliga that no champion will be awarded, no teams will be relegated, Three teams will be promoted or something like that. They'll have a an expanded league format next year, and then like five teams will be relegated. I, I, I don't love that, but it seems like a fairly common sense solution. And I think what I would say there is that I think what we'll have to do is just be very flexible over the next like year and a half, basically. That we have to have, I think, a lot of sympathy for the people who are trying to figure out how to deal with these tournaments and how to deal with these competitions and how best to make everybody happy or to the extent possible make everybody happy while keeping everybody safe. Yeah. So I think I want to see them finish. But I'm also uh, aware that there's going to be a lot of strangeness still to come uh, from even from a, like a non-serious uh, coronavirus standpoint from a we're just going to have a lot of fluctuation and, and changes to the way leagues have functioned because I think we're going to have to. Definitely. This is uncharted territory and different leagues are probably going to reach different conclusions on how they do things. And that's fine because there are different circumstances, not only in the makeup Mm -hmm. of those countries, but in how the leagues look right now. Things are a lot tighter in Italy than they are in the Premier League, for example. But I I think my overall view is it's better to shorten next season in Europe than this Mm -hmm. season. That's fairer because from the outset... You know the rules when you're going in. You know what the competition is. We knew when we started this Premier League season, it would be 38 rounds. That was the rules of engagement for this for this um, Premier League. And if we know from the outset that it'll be shorter next season, that's fairer in my view than cutting things short now. And as I say, obviously this only happens when it's completely safe to resume playing. But I think let's let's say let's say. I'll, I'll, throw a, I'll throw a dart at a month, November. Let's say November we start playing again. We play those 10 games out. Then we do a shortened season. We could even roll it straight in because the players would have had a decent break by then, uh, albeit not in ideal circumstances. We can mm-hmm. roll straight into a season there. And there's, there's almost a benefit, Taylor, in moving to an MLS-style summer schedule. Because mm-hmm. let's not forget 2022 World Cup starts in November 2022. We could do 2021 oh, yeah. and 2022 as summer schedules, and then we're kind of in line for the World Cup. 
Does that make yeah. a little bit of sense? It does, and I think, and I think that goes to what I was saying earlier that like y- there just needs to be flexibility. We all kind of have to understand that things are going to be a little bit strange for a while, and I think with that comes like that. Say we do have the shortened season next year. Say they they decide we're going to finish this one, we're going to give everybody a month break, then we're going to start the next season. Everybody's only going to play each other once, but that's how it's going to be. Right. And let's just say there's a fluke and Wolves win or Sheffield United somehow find a way to win. I don't think they get an asterisk if they win the shortened season. It's just like, look, like this is the flexibility I'm talking about. We can't dismiss anything that happens next year because of what happened this year we've just got to kind of got to roll with it yeah. and i and i do think that that is probably the best way to proceed i also wonder and I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this ryan like is it almost fortunate that the euros aren't in one set country this this summer because i do wonder if you had them let's go back to like if they were in france again if like all of the infrastructure were in place mm-hmm. and there'd been all this planning and then you scrap it that is a sort of like one country taking a massive hit, whereas with the sort of spread out format that they were going to go for th- with this iteration, it does feel like if you were going to cancel the Euros, logistically it's going to be harder because you've got a lot of countries, but it also feels like the impact is a bit more spread than just like, sorry, this one country, you don't get to host that tournament this summer, hope you guys can handle it. Yeah, it's definitely fairer because obviously it was, it's going across 12 countries in Euro mm-hmm. 2020 and that it's it's not quite split 12 ways because uh say Wembley's having more games than Bilbao so it's mm-hmm. not quite fair but it is it's definitely uh, the the cost absorption absorption is better uh, in this uh, in, in this format even if it's not ideal for pandemic reasons to have it across 12 different countries yeah. And so my, my final note on this before we get to a a slightly lighter topic mm-hmm. uh is is just that like I I, I take solace in that there are people who are uh, much smarter than I uh, dealing with the disease itself, but there are people much smarter than I dealing with this issue. And I think sometimes, like, this is a very strange analogy to draw, but, like, when Amazon says they've delivered something and they haven't, and you have that moment of, like, is anybody going to be held accountable for this? How do I get the thing I need? Like, what's happening? There's that panic of, like, no one else cares about this but me, mm. and I feel very isolated as a result. And I guess I take solace knowing that there are so many people out there working towards a solution and trying to find a way to make things happen, to keep everybody sort of happy but safe, and that there is this giant global community of soccer fans, of people who rely on soccer for income and for business and for relaxation and whatever else that all care and and want things to be dealt with wisely, but smartly, but quickly. Like I, I think it's it's if nothing else, nice to know that lots of other people are working on this as well and concerned about it as well. So in that regard, we're all sort of united in that one front. Definitely, even if we're isolated, we are together, yeah. Taylor. There's, there's there is yeah. an air of positivity in the soccer community, uh, despite the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And talking of positivity, one more thing to add. The Dietmar Hopp redemption story is Ah, here we go. Here, here so we go. Dietmar Hopp, the owner of Hoffenheim, who is much maligned in the Bundesliga for various reasons, which we've discussed previously on this show, and uh, we have our opinions about, certainly. But it turns out, Taylor, that his company... Uh, a company, one of his mm-hmm. companies, I should say. He's a principal investor in a, a, a biotech holding, which is developing a vaccine. This is the one you may have seen in the news, which uh, the president of the United States was uh, reportedly trying to buy this vaccine for the US and its exclusive use. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dima Hopp has come out and said against that, you know, that's not the right and proper thing to do. But we could have a situation, Taylor, where the most hated man in German soccer becomes the global savior of mankind. I just I just look forward to the banners. And we did get a lot of response to our conversation about Dietmar Hoff. Uh, I don't really want to go back down that road. Uh, that is better left for other folks who wish to discuss that. I will just say I like the idea of there still being anti-Dietmar Hoff banners, but then one 
sort of like uh, asterisk in the background, like, but you know, if you develop the vi- vaccine, like, good for you. Like, I, like at least he gets a little bit of credit for that, but then he can still be criticized for everything <laughs> else. But uh, the Dietmar Hopp redem- redemption story is one that maybe, if it ends up happening, we'll see as a documentary or an outright film, which I think moves us to our next topic of conversation. Uh, I'm assuming you are working from home today. I am home, as is my wife. Uh, mm. I think we'll probably stay that way for at least a couple weeks. Um, and so, if you need to kind of fill the void, you're looking for something to be entertained, uh, Ryan and I are going to be discussing some of our favorite and least favorite uh, soccer, doc- soccer documentaries and movies um, that we have watched and will probably be re-watching over the next couple weeks. Yes, indeed. I'm looking forward to this. We've uh, we put together a list of documentaries and movies, as you say, uh, mm-hmm. some some of which are much better than others, but uh, the, the premise here is this is all stuff that you can stream while you have some potential uh, self-isolation time. And I might add, by the way, I've been a freelance soccer journalist for 10 years. I've been self-isolating for a decade mm-hmm. now, so I know all about this. <laughs> I have enjoyed some of those articles being written by freelancers about, like, here's how you work from home. Uh, there was one I sent to my wife earlier that featured the, the great line of, like, put on your good sweatpants. Don't wear the ones with the holes in them. At least put on the nice sweatpants when you work from home. <laughs> that is uh, excellent work, uh, as is uh, the, uh, Ryan Bailey. You did some excellent work in compiling uh, these these documentaries. Why don't you start us off since you uh, formed the initial list? Okay, so I have a let's start with the documentaries because that's a, a potentially more interesting space than soccer movies because mm-hmm. there's not that many superb soccer no, movies there out aren't. there, but there's a lot of good no, documentaries. So I, I've listed my top five, but I'll start with some. Let's start with a bad one, actually. Mm-hmm. There's a bad documentary out there, in my opinion. Now, I've not seen all soccer documentaries, but the Ronaldo one, I think it was just called Cristiano Ronaldo, possibly in association with Castrol or something like that. <laughs> it was released a few years ago. That sounds highly likely. Yeah, I believe that they were on the headline of, of the banner there. Um, this was released a few years ago. I actually reviewed it for Bleacher Report, and um, I did not give it a glowing review because it was... A huge puff piece. I mean, there were some interesting moments in there with George Mendes, and he talked about his father and how sort of George Mendes is almost a surrogate father figure in Ronaldo's life. And there was some stuff at home, but it was very, 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 very puffy, and it sort of skipped over any vague senses of controversy that might be in Ronaldo's life. And you could argue, you know, the same thing about, say, the Amazon documentary of Manchester City. It was very polished and quite positive, but not quite in the same way as this Ronaldo one just felt like uh, it was advertising yeah. something. It felt a bit dirty. Did you see that one, Taylor? Uh, I, I have not. I was not aware of it until you brought it to my attention. I watched the trailer. Yeah, I'm good to pass on that one. Uh, that, that's what I'll say there because you're right. Like, I, anytime I'm watching a documentary and I feel like you all are not talking about some of the things that we know you should be talking about or even being a little bit critical. Um, like, I was watching the This Is Football, like the Amazon documentary about the Brazil national team and even just like the way they're sort of not openly, but there is a lot of conversation about Neymar and is he is he focused? And even like the coaches having a conversation about was he, he wasn't training with PSG? Like, no. Yeah. Did we know he wasn't training? Like, <laughs> just some of that is like, oh, you're actually giving me insight as opposed to like, Neymar is the best. We all love Neymar. Yeah. We think he is great. Like, you can kind of tell when they're reading from cue cards versus when they're actually sort of in the moment forgetting the cameras are there and having real conversations. And I've, I, I think that's the documentary that I tend to gravitate towards as opposed yeah. to ones with corporate sponsors that are definitely trying to spin a narrative. Yeah, so this doc, the Ronaldo doc, was more beautiful panning shots of Ronaldo's splendid Madrid home than um, yeah. gritty shots of him trying to get over a, a half-time deficit in the locker room. Uh, <laughs> All right, so that's one, to avoid. that's one to avoid. What's one that you enjoy? So some honourable mentions I'll give to the mm-hmm. aforementioned Manchester City Amazon doc, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a very informative, good series. There's some very interesting moments in it, even if it is a little bit uh, of a positive spin on the whole situation there. There's some snippets, like, I think... I think 
there's a moment where the chairman takes a call when he decides they're not going to take Virgil van Dijk because he's too expensive. Which is a fairly pivotal moment in Manchester City and Premier League history, yeah. I would argue, and they got that there. Um, but, also- but they're totally set on centre back, so we're fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> e- about that, um, Borussia Dortmund <laughs> also have uh, an Amazon documentary up there, a similar series piece, which is worth watching. It's in German, it's subtitled, but it's very good, and you can see like players like Jaden Sancho and the way they relate to the squad as well. That's a very good one. Uh, another audible mention, Tate, I'll give to the Sunderland Till I Die Netflix documentary, which obviously was supposed to chart their dramatic. Sent back into the Premier League, but things kind of went the other way. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's, a little bit, a little bit. It's good. And I think, you know, this is the reason why the Spurs Amazon documentary is going to be interesting, the one that's being compiled this season, because there's hopefully going to be a few warts, a few more warts than we saw on the Manchester City one. And also, I would also recommend the, there's a lot of great 30 for 30s, but the Hillsborough one, the Hillsborough one, which was done, uh, was that a couple of years ago now? That was I'm not. I'm not as familiar with that one, uh, but I, I would. I would say most of the thirty for thirty documentaries I really enjoyed. I believe the two Escobars is also yes. a thirty for thirty or in that uh, vein, and that was that was one about Andres Escobar, Pablo Escobar, World Cup '94 uh, that came out a while ago. But again, that's another excellent one that I think you can. Uh, I think you have to purchase for like a dollar ninety nine on a couple different platforms. Yeah. you may be able to find it streaming somewhere, but yeah, that's that's uh, my preferred thirty for thirty. Although the Hillsborough one sounds uh, fairly captivating, albeit maybe a little bit uh, depressing. But then again, it's a documentary. That's yeah. how they tend to go sometimes. It hits you in the gut a little bit, the Hillsborough one, but it's definitely worth seeking out. And I've put on here Zidane colon a 21st century portrait, but the more I think about it, the more I don't think I love that one as much as <laughs> some people did. Because Really? Uh, well, I, I'm a big fan of um, the Commode email, uh, the Commode podcast uh, on the BBC, mm-hmm. which is a film review. Um, hashtag Wittertainment for anybody out there. Uh, and I think he described it as just watching Zidane playing soccer for 90 minutes and not much else happens, which is kind of a fair assessment. There's not, yeah, it's just, it is. I, and that's I beautiful. Still love it. It's beautiful to watch his control mm-hmm. and his touch and in nice 4K fancy uh, uh, mm-hmm. cinematography going on. But yeah, not, he's not he's not um, the the biggest personality in the game, shall we say? Yeah, I, that is definitely true. Uh, the Mogwai score is solid on that one. Uh, it's a good one to watch if you are uh, zoning out or uh, to, to speak in code. Uh, there's a podcast I like where they refer to it as having a tall glass of water. Uh, that is a good way to maybe watch this one because it is sort of ambient music. You get the crowd noise, but it's a lot of him. Like you can hear him breathing at times. You can hear him quietly talking. It's a lot of close ups of his feet because he drags his toes when he runs. And that is sort of really compelling to watch a professional athlete. Yeah never have his feet leave the ground. I don't know why I find that so compelling, but I do. Uh, and then it's also interesting because he's one of those players who I feel like doesn't necessarily try to exert themselves immediately on the match, but grows into it based on what he's seeing. Mm. And he does start with him having very little influence, and the longer it goes, the more on the ball he is. Uh, so I like it for that reason, but I think, yeah, my, my two uh, that I would put in the honorable mention category are Zidane, a 21st century portrait, yeah. and uh, the two Escobars, which is excellent and depressing all at once. Very very good. Tall glass of water, by the way. That's an interesting mm-hmm. one. That's a, I yeah. think that's the phrase I use in my TSS fan fiction when I'm writing about Daryl. <laughs> you are correct. Uh, I, I think, he, is he the tallest of the three of us? I think he is. Oh, we're, we're pretty similar, I'd say. I think it's you, you, you and he are, are one and two, yeah. and then if I'm having I'm bringing a good up the hair day, maybe I'm a little hot, taller. We'll, we'll never know. <laughs> All right, let's, so let's talk about some of your uh, favorite soccer docs, but first, let's talk about uh, today's sponsor. It's our friends at Stamps.com. Uh, if you do not want to go to the post office right now, which I think most people do not, mm-hmm. uh, but you want to keep your business running, you want to keep everything on schedule, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of commitment, but that's why you get Stamps.com. Anything you can do at the post office, you 
you can do at stamps.com. Their on-demand postage means that you can skip that trip to the post office, save money with discounts that you can't even get when you're there in person. Stamps.com brings you all the service of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer device. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending out thousands of packages a day, Mm -hmm. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. 24-7, you can print your postage, official U.S. postage, I should say, on any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send, and you don't have to leave your gosh darn chair to do it. None of that unofficial non-U.S. postage. It is all official and all U.S. Uh, it also isn't uh, just saving you time. It is also saving you money. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off shipping rates. Uh, so right now, our listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Ryan, how can they do that? I say... In my opinion, Taylor, they go to Stamps.com and they enter the code TSS. It's not just my opinion, it's a fact. Stamps.com and you enter the code... I like you spinning it as opinion, though. That's solid. (laughs) If I was to think of my opinion on this matter, it would be go to Stamps.com and enter the code TSS. That's for your Mm four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. By the way, Taylor, I used to collect stamps. I was that cool at school. Did you really? Mm -hmm. Did you have a prized one? I had a Penny Black, which was the first ever stamp, which was released in the Victorian era in 1840, I'm going to say. That was a special one, but I lost it. How did you, how did you acquire your Penny Black stamp? Mm, there was a, there's a, for any stamp nerds out there, there's a store on London, in London on the Strand called Stanley Gibbons. Of course Gibbons. there is. Stanley Gibbons, which maybe still stands there today, which is like the stamp mecca. I think I got mine there. That makes sense. I feel like if I were, if you asked me where is the stamp mecca, I would say London. Mm. That just feels like the place that would have them all in one tiny little shop, uh, but still manages to fit them all in like, there. So that's what I'm picturing now. Yeah, like many things, Taylor, including the game we talk about quite a lot. We invented it. No big deal. <sighs> No big deal. No big deal. Uh, But thank you very much to Stamps.com for sponsoring this episode of the Total Soccer Show. Ryan Bailey, let's talk best soccer documentaries. Some of these you have on your list I have not seen. Uh, Some of them I have. Some of them I've seen bits and pieces of. Uh, So why don't you start us off? I'm going to go for a top five here. I'm guessing in at number five is one that you certainly have seen, Mr. Taylor Rockwell. I have. I have. The Class of 92, which for those who don't... Are they significant? Is that a thing? Uh, well, in 1992, a class of uh, Manchester United players came through mm-hmm. from the academy. Some of these names I'm going to throw out here, you might know them. Nicky Butt, Ryan Giggs, Gary Neville, Heard of him. Phil Neville, Heard of him. Paul Scholes, mm-hmm. David Beckham, Keith Gillespie, Robbie Savage. Anyway, I can keep going on those kind of <laughs> names. But uh, <laughs> basically, it centers around the more famous names you've heard in that list. Uh, the, t- the players who, when uh, mm. Alan Hansen on Match of the Day famously, I think it was at the start of the 93 94 season, says, You'll never win anything with kids. That was a bad yes. Alan Hansen accent. I apologize for that. But the point I, being, I thought it was great. Uh, nobody had faith in Alex Ferguson's ability to hone these young uh, Academy products from Carrington into superstars. And that he did. And this is just a really good documentary. Not only does it document the friendship between these mm-hmm. players from then until now. There's got a lot of good voices in there. Zidane Zidane, the uh, personality vacuum before mentioned, is, uh, was one of the uh, talking heads in it. Eric Cantona's in it. <laughs> Yeah, Tony Blair's in it, and uh, Danny Boyle's in it too, and a, a, a big shout out to him as well. I, th- I think this is just a really, I think I first watched this on a plane, and I really enjoyed it, because sometimes documentaries are better on planes, I find. 
I, that makes sense to me when you, when you're like really locked in and mm. focused on, on that one little thing because it has to be the thing that entertains you. Yeah. Whereas sometimes with other documentaries, I tend to pull out the phone and I'll be like, "Oh wait, who is that guy?" And then you can get lost in the Google when you don't have access or like easy access to the internet. If you're on that plane, you just have to kind of stay focused uh, and then maybe do your googling later. But for people who are new or newer to soccer and wonder like, why is Gary Neville's opinion? Why does that matter? Why is Ryan Giggs so important mm. or Paul Scholes? Like, it does a good job of kind of telling you where those players came from, how they kind of bonded so closely, and why they ended up being such a strong uh, core group. So I'm with you. I very much enjoy the class of 92. Uh, I have not seen the next one on your list, uh, and I'm excited. I I looked at it today, knowing that we were going to be talking about it. I watched the trailer, Mm. uh, but I wanted to hear more about This Is Football from you. So yeah, just to wrap up, the class 92 available for a couple of bucks on YouTube and Prime and all those kind of places. It's one you have to pay for. This one, uh, number four, is on Amazon Prime as part of your subscription. This is football. It's a series, a six-part documentary. Basically, it looks at the impact of soccer around the world. And if you've seen the Taylor, the, the Taylor trailer, if you've seen the trailer Taylor, mm-hmm. then you'll the know trailer. that it has really, really impressive production values. It takes you to places in the world that you might not necessarily have seen or even thought about in a soccer context. Uh, like, for example, the first uh, the first uh, episode of the documentary is about the Rwandan Reds. So it goes to Rwanda mm-hmm. and. Uh, get, sort of examines the impact of soccer and you know european soccer on on the people there it's really fascinating the episode the second episode's about women's soccer it talks about the um the japanese women's team who triumphed and after they had a natural disaster that killed thousands in in japan and also mentions the the sort of the rise of the un us women's national team at the turn of the century as well it's a very interesting one there's an episode all about iceland which is fantastic because who doesn't want to learn more about iceland i know i certainly do and episode six uh it goes a bit obscure it's about some guy called Lionel messi i think you pronounce it um but that's a that's a good one to wrap it up as well it's about this guy argentine guy who goes to catalonia but uh that's uh this is football on prime uh i really really recommend that so if you haven't seen that they're all hour-long uh parts of a six-part documentary um and i don't think it got a lot of press or promo because it doesn't seem to be in the greater conversation in my opinion is it is it all part of a series because it's like this is football this is football like man city this is football brazil is it all like is it just sort of that's their umbrella for the documentaries they're making I thought this is football was just relating in context to these six parts, but maybe okay. I'm wrong. maybe they they maybe they've expanded that. Okay, all right that 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 makes that makes sense to me. But uh, you you've sold me on it a little bit, especially with, with Iceland and with Japan. Yeah, I, I'm 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 interested in how Japan do what they do. I'm very interested in how Iceland have been able to do what they have done. Uh, that as you said is available on Prime. Also available on Prime. Again, Ryan watches more documentaries than I do. Uh, is the Four Year Plan another that I was not familiar with until Ryan put it on the list? Oh boy, Taylor, if you haven't seen this one, I recommend you fire it up the minute we stop talking because it is a cracker. Uh, this one I actually watched on Netflix. It used to be on Netflix. It's now on Prime when I looked this up. This is all about Queen's Park Rangers, QPR. And the, the selling, the, the, the tagline here is that this started in 2007. They were hours from bankruptcy and then they got rescued by uh, Bernie Eccleston and Flavio Briatore, who are two very, who were two very big names in Formula One racing. And very exciting times. These two men, uh, gentlemen, very, very rich indeed. And also they, a few months after they bought in Lakshmi Mittal, who's a big, uh, I think he's a steel mm-hmm. magnate. He bought a a stake in QPR as well. He's now the full owner of the team. Very, very exciting time. They had this four-year plan to get promoted to the Premier League. 
and you can look it up and see whether they achieved that or not. I won't spoil it, but basically, uh, <laughs> if, if you know, they, you can probably work it out from looking at the, who Sergio Aguero scored against on the final day of his famous season. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, the, the, basically, the four-year plan here is it's got insane ups and downs. It's got a really, really... Uh, in-depth look like basically interviews with all the people Eccleston, Briatore and Mattel and all these people at the club despite it being very very unflattering because of all the ups and downs they have it's the access they have is incredible. Like, and all, and all these things keep going wrong. There's a manager who quits after a few weeks. There are fan protests at what's going on at the club because they think it's not being managed very well, and it's not. Uh, there's there's the owners who keep stepping in and trying to influence things actually happen in the dressing room, and you see this happening. You're like, my God, is this real? Briatore gets accused of race fixing in Formula One when this is all happening. It's 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 incredible that they had this much access with it being so unflattering. So I recommend wow. if you haven't seen that story look into that one because it is the opposite of a of a shiny man city amazon documentary my friend you have sold that program i will be watching the four-year plan this evening because that that sounds uh excellent uh from top to bottom yeah. i think we can stop there ryan you you, you struck oil uh but that uh, again is available on prime mm-hmm. available on hbo unless you have anything else you want to say about the four-year plan uh, I, i'm ready to move on from that but i definitely recommend it is there one is there one person or personality in that one that you maybe found yourself gravitating towards or you think is more entertaining than the others? Oh, it's a whole package. You just got to watch. Okay. It. It's All incredible. Right. I mean, Flavio Briatore is a, is quite a character. I'd probably pick him, but um yeah, there's a lot going on in the 4-year plan. It's it's chaos what? from start to finish. Well, speaking of chaos from start to finish, uh, let's talk Diego Maradona, uh, the HBO documentary, which, uh, not surprisingly, is available streaming on HBO. Uh, it was one, I don't know why. There are certain things like this. I, actually, Class of 92 was one of these as well, where for some reason I saw it, I wanted to watch it, and I could not just get myself in the right headspace. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I don't really like Diego Maradona that much, mm-hmm. I think, for his latter-day sins, um, and maybe a little bit in, in the moment from what I understood of it then. But watching this documentary, it gives you like good insight into the chaos that surrounded Diego Maradona and continues to surround him, but sort of also explains why he is the way he is and how there's uh, the point they keep kind of uh, driving home, which I thought was really interesting, is that there's Diego, who's this just kind of charming, very nice, soft-spoken fella, and then there's Maradona, that sort of caricature, yeah. and how over time Maradona took over and the uh, uh, success and then catastrophic results of Maradona becoming the dominant force uh, were more compelling than I thought they would be. It, it, it There were moments when I kind of wanted to turn this one off, and then I stuck through it, and it is definitely one that if you watch it all the way to the end, you get a lot more out of it. I know that's silly saying, watch the whole thing from start to finish, and you'll <laughs> when you reach the conclusion, you'll have reached the conclusion, and you'll appreciate it all the more. But this was one that I would encourage people, uh, if they find themselves dragging a little bit, drink a cup of coffee, get a glass of water, get back to it, finish that one. It is excellent oh wow that's interesting that you thought that about turning it off and maybe needing some coffee because i found this pretty gripping from start to finish really to say um it's it's as you say it's the hbo documentary it's on streaming at the moment it's directed by asif kapadi who made senna about Ayrton senna like brazil's Mm -hmm. all-time greatest hero who's regarded as a bigger hero than pele over there um and he made the amy winehouse documentary as well it's the same kind of format he's a stunning documentary maker and this is no exception in my opinion it focuses mainly on maradona's time in italy which you could quite easily call the prime of his career um it kind of glosses over some what it not intentionally, but it glosses over some really crazy stuff that happens either side of his time in Italy. It, yep. you know, it shows the, his final game at Barcelona when he um, 
kicks many people in a brawl really with, all, with all the players involved in front of the king and 100,000 people. And yeah. it doesn't sort of dwell on the fact that he left there in disgrace. Um, but it, it's it, it, from the start, when you see his unveiling at the Stadio San Paolo at Napoli, yeah. It's this stunning footage, and the the best bit is that it's got all his home, it's a lot of his home videos and a lot of this yeah. footage from back in the day. And I've, I've actually listened to um, several interviews with Capardi, including one on the aforementioned BBC Film Show, where he mentioned about how he acquired this footage, and it's a very interesting journey. He actually tried three or four times to screen this to Diego Maradona himself. He flew to Abu Dhabi one time just to try and screen it to him, and he wasn't he didn't show up, which was quite an, mm-hmm. a very Diego Maradona thing to do. Um, but it's it, this story anyway is about him transforming Napoli who were relegation fodder uh, in a in the south of Italy which is sort of dismissed by this uh, slightly snobbier if you like northern uh, part of Italy. Uh, I would say a much snobbier based on yep. some of the crowd chants. Definitely so they're very rude about the people of, of Napoli and of, of southern Italy which is traditionally poorer than northern mm. Italy. Uh, he got this team basically from the doldrums of Serie A to be double champions and along that journey he sort of evolves and he gets involved with organized crime unwittingly or not we don't know and he becomes this god literally people Mm -hmm. referring to him as a god in italy and at the same time here you've got him competing in the 86 and the 90 world cups which he was uh, in uh, during his time at napoli uh uh, the the semi-final of the latter takes place italy against argentina Mm -hmm. in naples which is Mm -hmm. incredible because you've got the people who regard him as a god playing against their national soccer team in their stadium—you couldn't write it. It's incredible. And I can't it, believe that. I can't believe that's where that game ended up being set. <laughs> it's poor planning to the highest order, but that's yeah. what, that's what happened. And it sort of started the vilification, or, or it continued the vilification of Maradona. This, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, he's sort of this Jekyll and Hyde character, uh, and and the, the nasty side was kind of revealed, and he. I don't think he can even go back to Italy now. Isn't it like a thing no. where he can't go back for tax reasons if he steps inside yeah, the country? Yeah, I think he owes. I think he owes like thirty million euros or something like that. Still, yeah. so yeah, I think he'll be he'll be arrested upon arrival. There you go. Or at least that was the case a couple of years ago. My final note on this one is just that, uh, and I read a, I read a good review of this one, which then I kind of went back and started rewatching. Uh, and it is and it is the case that you get this idea that as soon as he moves to Naples, people are so excited to have this sort of celebrity, but this talent in Naples playing for Napoli, that it becomes just so claustrophobic. There are never, aside from when he's with his family, and even then it's pretty tight, he is always just mobbed on the field, off the field, going to the field, going to the stadium, going to a press conference, doing whatever. He is constantly surrounded by people. He's packed in, and and you just understand why things kind of went the way they did, that like if you're constantly out doing events and doing activities, maybe you're if you have a certain disposition, you're going to look for a thing that keeps you up, and that's kind of where it goes with Diego, <laughs> as we all know. Um, and, but I think it just it gave me more insight into some of the reasons why things went the way they did, yeah. more than just his own arrogance and ego. Because I've read his biography, I've heard him talk. I don't always love how he starts referring to himself in the third person and how nothing is ever his fault; it's always somebody else, and he had to solve it, but in the end it went wrong and it's just sort of this documentary I think cuts through a lot of that yeah. so I found it very compelling uh, for that reason I'm glad I finally broke down and watched it there you go good for you and I, I was mm-hmm. like you at the start I very much had a very negative opinion of Diego Maradona for all his, his sins and for uh, certain 
punches of mm-hmm. balls into nets that denied uh, yeah. certain teams uh, access to the uh, for latter stages of the World Cup. But I don't want to refer to that anymore. But I, I just thought this was, this gave you a really good insight into his character and some of the positives. You're talking side. about the Belgium game, right? Sure, Taylor. Sure. <laughs> <sighs> This game oh, is... and they connect the Falklands. The Falklands are in there, too. Yeah, there's obviously the political... Four, yeah. four years before that game in 86, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Argentina invaded British territory in the Falkland Islands, blah, blah, blah. There's all the political backdrop to it as well. So there's reasons why I, growing up, would have been conditioned to dislike Maradona. But I thought mm-hmm. this gave me an insight into sort of the more positive traits. He's, uh, there, there's this... Uh, line that he since he was 15 all he wanted to do was put his fat get his family out of the slums and get them get them a nice house and stuff like that and there is that yeah that Jekyll and Hyde aspect of things to his he's a tragic hero a bit of a Paul Gascoigne if you will yeah I, think I, I can see that I can see that all right I'm with you on that one mm-hmm. uh, another one that I, I was less familiar with until you put it on this list uh, but one that I feel like probably matters a lot to you probably means a lot to uh, Mr. Daryl Grove is uh, Bobby Robson more than a manager which is available on Netflix yeah. uh, I watched the first 20 minutes or so of that one because I was running out of time uh, but I, I am definitely planning to go back and finish that one because one thing I really enjoyed about the Maradona documentary that extends to the Robson documentary is how there's just so much other stuff that was happening in in the, that era that I was like, oh, I didn't realize those two things connected, or I didn't realize that player played on that team. Yeah. And, and, and Robson is one that I think was before my time, and I don't have the affinity for that I think most English people probably do. And so learning about, like, oh, wow, he did that. Oh, he managed that. Oh, Pep Guardiola said that about him. Like, okay, okay, now I'm on board. Yeah. So I'm of an age where my England fandom really, my national team fandom began at Euro 96 when England hosted the European Championships. And Bobby Robson was a couple years before that, three or four years before that. So it didn't quite cross over with my my youth and soccer fandom either. But Bobby Robson, more than the manager, is just a superb documentary for the sole reason that Bobby Robson is a superb person. And he's not just the, I don't think he's the greatest manager of all time. I think he's one of the greatest people of all time. And I'm choking up just talking about it right now because he's, really? he's, he's a stunning person. He really mm-hmm. is. So Bobby Robson, um, for a little bit of background, he was a player. He played at Fulham, uh, West Brom. He even played for a little bit in, uh, in Vancouver for the Royals, um, but got best known when he became a manager. He was manager at Ipswich for 13 seasons. He sort of brought them from Ipswich to becoming a top five team regularly, and that got him the England job. And he took England to two of the best World Cup performances since 1966 when England won the World Cup. That's the uh, 1986 World Cup when... As we know, Diego Maradona did some stuff that eliminated yeah. England from that mm-hmm. tournament and 1990, where uh, the, the, there was a penalty shootout in the semifinals against the Germans. And um, it, it still breaks my heart to this day that Bobby Robson didn't win a World Cup because he deserved it. He was a superb manager, a superb person, and he had two shots there, which were kind of cruelly taken away by cheating and by the luck of a draw of a penalty shootout. But that's neither here nor there. The documentary goes on and it covers his career and his impact not just mm-hmm. in England, but in European soccer. He went to PSV after he was at England and he worked with players like Romario. He went to Sporting Lisbon and he brought, there was a kid there who was working as his translator. There's a kid called Jose Mourinho and he brought him mm. up to be his assistant. He took him to Porto to become his assistant. Uh, and there, there was a kid whose name was Andre Villas-Boas. Who, 16! 16. 16-year-old kid called Andre Villas-Boas at Porto um, who became a coach uh, for him. Yep. So it's, it's his story about the, the, the names he brought through and the respect he commanded. And then he went to Barcelona and he signed a player called... But that's it, right? There's nobody else that he influenced there. <laughs> well, he did sign a player called Ronaldo who, oh. who turned out oh. to be quite good. And Interesting. 
what's interesting is in this documentary, Ronaldo's in it. He's one of the talking heads, as is uh, Pep Guardiola, who was uh, mm-hmm. coached by uh, Bobby Robson at Barcelona, and uh, obviously um, uh, Mourinho, and there's a few other people. But it's the reverence that they talk about him with. When you, when you yeah. see Mourinho talk about him, he has this tone that you don't see with anybody else, and he calls him Mr. Robson. You'll never call him anything else. And it's just wonderful to see. The, mm-hmm. the, the respect that he has for this man and I can't I can't justify it anymore and th- this is a wonderful documentary also he died in 2009 he, uh, he got a cancer diagnosis in 95 and um, you know he went back to Newcastle he's from the northeast of England and he was manager there in, in, in the final stages of his career and his life and there was a documentary hosted by Gary Lineker in 2009 and it, it played shortly after he died and I'm not ashamed to say I cried the whole way through and this was a similar sensation for me Oh, wow. All right. So if you want if you want to sense what it was like to be an emotional Ryan Bailey, <laughs> uh, like channel your inner Englishness if you have it, or, or just your faux inner Englishness and watch Bobby Robson more than manager. Yeah. That's on Netflix. Uh, we do want to talk movies as well. We've talked a lot about documentaries. Uh, let's take a moment to talk soccer movies. But the reality, Daryl and I have talked about this previously. There are not that many good soccer movies. So we're going to talk about some bad, some good. I don't know why there aren't more good soccer movies. Maybe just because it's tough to make a sports movie and soccer doesn't hasn't necessarily like penetrated the American marketplace to the point where Hollywood thinks it's a good idea to make soccer movies aside from kids' movies. That seems to be the way it is. So I feel like a lot of these are English or English like uh, produced or inspired or acted or what have you, yeah. uh, except for some of the bad ones. Uh, but Ryan, where do you want to start? You want to start good or bad? Let's go for good, because there's fewer okay. of those. All right. All right. <laughs> and the, the only three I could come up with which I mm-hmm. regard, would regard as, as good are The Dan United, yep. which uh, was Tom Hooper directed that, and he directed Cats, so you know it's good. Um, oh, based, you know. <laughs> based on a David Peace novel of the same name. And Brian Clough is the subject of that one. He's played by Michael Sheen, played very well. I love well. Michael Sheen so much. I really Who do. doesn't love Michael Sheen? Isn't he the greatest? He's just the he best. really is. His second, his second best appearance behind uh, when he was playing Wesley Snipes on 30 Rock. <laughs> Wesley. And he, was on, <laughs> he talked about the show Chums, which was the British version of Friends. <laughs> I forgot about Chums. <laughs> I always go Velocipede and go up, boss. I forgot about Chums. That's so good. God bless That's you, so, 30 so Rock. Good. Anyway, um, this this the. This particular movie is about his uh, uh, rise. What well, well, he he was um, a very good manager with Derby County, brought them yeah. to a, a very unlikely league title, earned him the job at Leeds, who were the big dogs at the time. He only spent a matter of weeks there, forty four days there. He had a big rivalry with the previous manager Don Revy, and I think mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a famous scene where um, he's, you know he says some words to the effect of, "You see that league title, you those medals you got, throw them in the bin because they were won by cheating." And it's all this kind of thing that he, he that, that's the kind of vibe yeah. that you got from Brian Clough in this. There's some other really good performances. Isn't it? Stephen Graham plays Billy Bremner, one of his players, which I think is very good. So this this was one of my favorites. You, you, are you on board with that? Yes, absolutely. I think I mean it is it is maybe not as uplifting as the next movie we're going to talk about, but it is really well acted. It tells a really interesting story and a very turbulent story, and then simultaneously that like, kind of takes you through uh, what led to it, what led to his time at Leeds, what like the kind of aftermath. His fall is it Peter Taylor that he has the falling out yes, with? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like so you you, you see Timothy that Spall. as well. Peter Taylor played by Timothy Spall, uh, yeah. the actor who is Peter Pettigrew in Harry Potter, whose name I always forget. Timothy Spall, uh, I say it you- three times. 
Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, but yes, so I, I think I think everything about that movie is great. But just the way Michael Sheen seems to have channeled the arrogance of Brian Clough, mm. and like like you kind of, it is one of those films where you forget that it's the actor playing him, and because he sounds so much like him. So I I loved The Damned United. I really love, not surprisingly, given my Man United fandom, but not just because of that. I really loved uh, Looking for Eric, another one that you had on your list. Yeah, definitely. The Damned United is on Prime. Looking for Eric is on Hulu. And I'm one of those suckers mm. who subscribes to everything and has huge uh, streaming bills every month. But what are you going to do? Uh, looking for Eric, um, which is, I'll let you describe this one, Taylor, but I'll just say it's a Ken Loach movie. Uh, and he's one of the all-time great directors. He directed Kez, a 1969 movie, which you haven't seen that, then you certainly should. It's got a good soccer scene in it, I would say. Uh, looking for Eric, though. Um, Eric Cantona is the Eric in it. And he sort of yeah. haunts, haunts a postman. Is that the, uh, is that the headline here? Yeah. Yeah, it's basically, it's been a while since I've seen it. I watched it with my wife, who was then my girlfriend. That's how long ago it was. Uh, but yeah, it's essentially, there's this like postman, uh, in England dissatisfied with his life. I think he's fallen out with his kids, uh, one of whom is sort of like, uh, going into, uh, troubled areas, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and, and the postman sort of, uh, is a huge Man United fan. That's what, what he sort of rallies around. And I think, uh, there, there's, I still like to believe that it's actually Eric Cantona and not his imagination, but it's essentially Eric Cantona becomes his imaginary friend and sort of gives him the sort of Eric Cantona advice that you would expect. A lot of riddles and weird answers to strange questions and, uh, uns- and like unsuspecting or surprising answers to uh, other questions that he helps the postman along the way. Yeah. Uh, and in the end, it's a much more happy ending, or a- at least a happy ending, which maybe is what people are looking for uh, in the current climate. I, so yeah. if you want a sort of uplifting soccer-related movie, looking for Eric might be the way to go there. It's very good. That climatic scene where Cantona sort of visits him at night and says, mm-hmm. do not forget when the seagulls follows the troller. Go to stamps.com and this is called DSS and you will get the discounts. I mean, it, it's one of his uh, most sincere deliveries and I do appreciate that. I like it more than his appearances in Elizabeth uh, with, with Kate Blanchett. Easy oh. to forget that Eric Cantona is in that movie. Yeah. Forgot about that. What do you know? He's, a, he's What do you know? He's like Frank LaBeouf. He's one of those actors you see. Uh, one of those French actors you see popping up in things occasionally and surprising you. The other movie I'd say which is good mm-hmm. is one that I didn't actually find on streaming anywhere, but it's Fever Pitch, um, which is based on a Nick Hornby novel about his life as an Arsenal fan. And what I'd say is um, seek out the book, Fever Pitch, if you were looking yep. for a book to read during this uh downtime for, for soccer um, it's a big fat book and it's very very good very much encapsulates the feeling of obsession over soccer yeah. I'd say Nick Hornby is a very good writer you might know him from things like About a Boy and his collaborations with Ben Folds and so on but what I should say is there is another movie which was based yeah. on his novel called Fever Pitch which they mm-hmm. transferred to the American market and it's about mm-hmm. baseball and it's got Ooh. Jimmy Fallon in it and Double uh, don't watch that one no don't do that. It's got Drew Barrymore in it. She's fine. Uh, but yes, uh, I, I think I have not seen Fever Pitch the movie. I've read Fever Pitch the book. It's how I learned about what what the clock end is supposed to do at Arsenal. And I'm glad I didn't go to Arsenal games in that era. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so I, I I love that book. Um, there and there are many uh, obviously many 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 good soccer books. I think Daryl and I have answered that question before. Maybe that's a question we'll answer uh, in the coming weeks since we won't have much live soccer to talk about. Uh, final thing before we get you going, Ryan, we should talk about some bad soccer movies. Uh, and on. The 
this list, you have goals one, two, and three, which I'm surprised by because they're so, so good to the extent that I have no idea what happens in the third one. I think it doesn't even involve the original character, and I think they go to the World Cup, but it doesn't really matter because they get increasingly ridiculous over the course of the series. Well, you can't remember what happens in goal three. I can't remember what happens in one and two because they're not, I mean... Come on. Really? <laughs> David Beckham's in one it's of them. Always... That's all I remember. I think Michael Owen might be in, in one of them. Good Lord. Yeah, That's all you need to know. There's like, Gooty is in one of them, I remember. Uh, yeah. Gooty makes an appearance in the second one, I think. The first one is Newcastle. The second one is his move to Madrid. That's right. And all the, and all the ensuing uh, nonsense that happens. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're good like popcorn movies, I suppose. Uh, it did teach me that there's no way to outrun the ball. That is, a, <laughs> that is a thing I use when I'm coaching people who think that they're faster than everybody else. I'll just pass the ball past them. So yeah. Rutger Hauer taught me that from the first movie. That's about all you need to know from the goal franchise. Well, um, the, uh, the director, the New Zealand director, is it Taiko mm-hmm. White? Titi, is that his name? Yes. Um, I believe he's making a soccer movie at the moment, um, which we should look that out I will for. See. But I don't believe it is goal four, the goal inning. So don't worry about that. <laughs> I will pretty much see anything Taika Waititi does yeah. or acts in at this point. Uh, we, sh- we should also add, uh, not a movie, but a TV show. Supposedly, th- there is going to be a Ted Lasso series on Apple+. Plus. Uh, I-, I will definitely watch that if and when it happens. Uh, I would happily watch that over, say, Green Street Hooligans, uh, <laughs> which maybe... Has it just been shortened to Green Street these days? Uh, Green Street was what it was called in the UK. I think it, there it, it is. had to be called Green Street Hooligans to hammer the point home, yeah. as if that movie didn't hammer the point uh, home enough hammer. already. Uh, uh, get there it, we West go. Ham. Uh, uh, yeah, we're on the same wavelength. This film, Elijah Wood's a tough guy. I mean, it's just... It, oh, it's so bad. Yeah. And Char- mm-hmm. the most offensive thing about it to me is Charlie yep. Hunan, who's by all accounts a good actor, his attempts to do the, oh, I, I am yep. from West Ham country in East London, and it doesn't yep. quite, <laughs> no, it doesn't work for me. It's he really just needs to like be a character from Newcastle because yeah. him and him and Sons of Anarchy, another ridiculous show. Uh, every now and then, that Newcastle accent, the Jordy accent, just comes out for moments. And yeah, you can definitely yeah. even even I, as like a college student, when I first saw this, hearing him do that accent, I was like, is is he American doing that? Like, I was so confused by some of the accent work uh, in Green Street. But if you want to watch people beat each other to death, I guess that's a good movie to go with. Yeah, and and so I'm, I'm not even going to repeat my favorite lines because they're not suitable for broadcast, but there's some very very funny Cockney lines in there, uh, which are very... <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad movie. Don't go watch it, please. Watch one of the uh, other things we've mentioned uh, on this show. What about Escape to Victory? Where are you on that one? So this is a difficult one because it's sort of lauded and it's one of those ones that in the UK was always on at Christmas and it's got a pretty stellar cast. Escape to Victory is basically a team of superstar soccer players trying oh, yeah. to escape from a prisoner of war camp uh, run by evil Nazis, essentially. Of course. And it's got Bobby Moore's in it and Pele's in it and Sylvester mm-hmm. Stallone's in it. Sylvester Obviously. Stallone, who is like four foot tall, is a goalkeeper because sure. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I mean, he's the best in the world, Ryan. He say, he wins World War II single-handedly with those hands as a goalkeeper. <laughs> he certainly does. Little known fact. I mean, it, he does get uh, humiliated by Pele, which is terrific, because that sequence actually happened, from what I understand. Oh, boy. I mean, Pele, is, yeah. uh, he's, he's not the world's greatest actor. Let's put it like that. He's, he did a lot more no, talking not. with his boots than he did with his, uh, with his, with his mouth in this movie, let's say. Um, is Michael Caine in that movie? Michael Caine's in it, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Michael Caine, who, uh, who's in some great movies, and also this and, like, Jaws 4, where I think he signed on just to get a, a vacation in the Bahamas or wherever it was shot. I haven't, I haven't seen the movie, but I have seen The House It Built Me. There you go. 
that's the one that's the line um and yeah it's it's when you break it down to its component parts it's not a great movie i would say but it, no, it's, it, it's silly fun if you really have to watch something but there's other stuff out there there is indeed uh, another silly fun one would be uh, Mean Machine. Don't know where this one is streaming. You might have to purchase it. Uh, but <laughs> it's essentially the longest yard, except set in England, and it's Vinnie Jones in the Adam Sandler slash Burt Reynolds role. Uh, also in there, Jason Statham, the crazy Scottish goalkeeper. Uh, you've got some other like Guy Ritchie favorites uh, making appearances in that one. But uh, again, very silly. Uh, soccer fun, if you want to go uh, that route, w- w- with some prison in the background and Vinnie Jones essentially playing Vinnie Jones. Vinnie Jones, yeah, because that's that's his range. That's uh, where it extends. It really is. Like, let's play. It's a uh, tough guy or English tough guy. Oh, I'm the juggernaut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Uh, the final one I wanted to ask you about, Ryan, before we let you go. Um, I don't know anyone who has ever seen United Passions, the FIFA movie. I, the only person who I feel might have seen it is you. And so I'm going to ask now, have you seen that movie? It's on Prime and it's in my queue, but I've not seen it yet. I've not wasted my right. time yet. But I, I, I think I will. And maybe next week, if nothing else comes up, we should just do yep. commentary on United Passions. I am kind of in for that. So if nothing else, maybe you and I next Monday will be, uh, maybe we should try to watch that for next week and then we can just break down United Passions and our favorite and least favorite emphasis on least favorite parts of that film. (laughs) All right. So that's a plan for next Monday. But for now, this Monday, uh, Ryan, I really appreciate you taking all the time to give us some updates about uh, what's going on in the world, but then also talking about movies and documentaries that we both love and hate. uh, And I look forward to doing maybe that again next week. As do I hope we provided a service today. Taylor, always a pleasure, never a chore.